Welcome to Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick Armick. Then I joined always by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And we're joined by our other friend, Candice Nola. Say hello, Candice. Hello. Today, we're talking with two returning guests, two guests that we adore. Let's start off with John Bowden. Say hello, John. Hello. And you are the author of Snarl. Crazy. I am. Yeah. (laughs) And then we got Robert Ford. Say hello, hello Robert. everybody tonight. And he's the author of The Dead Pennies. And uh, I'm glad I didn't eat during some of that that reading. So uh, <laughs> I'd like to start off with this. You both are very clearly close with each other. I believe you both mentioned each other in your afterwards. Um, did did you guys read each other's? books early on uh the dead pennies and uh and uh snarl i did not read dead pennies no yeah i didn't i didn't i don't think i gave that out i don't think i gave that out to anyone uh early to you know early on no i don't i don't think i shared any early drafts or anything like that now snarl on the other hand I got an early draft of that. And when I read that, um, when I finished it, I, this is no embellishment, no gravy boating, no anything. I could not speak for a solid 20 minutes. Um, it absolutely floored me. The ending floored me. It just hit me like a, like a sack of rocks. So I am forever humbled by John on that one. Um, but yeah, no, I, I didn't give out dead pennies to anybody very early. John, what are your what are your immediate thoughts to what Bob just said? Well, he's told me that before. Um, I mean, I don't know. He's one of my. He gets to read everything almost like he's one of the first ones. Second only, my mom reads everything first, and then it's Bob, Bob and Chad usually simultaneously. Yeah. But you know, then it doesn't go any further until I've heard from them. So interesting. I'm going to ask one more question. Then I'm going to throw it to Brennan or Candace, whoever we can figure out who next, but you, you both, John, you're a bit more um, for lack of knowing what word to use over this purple than John, but I mean, than Bob, but you're, you're still very lean with your writing. So I'm wondering if, uh, if there's a newer writer listening to this or someone that's just generally looking for maybe a few tips on, on how to craft it because you guys have pretty much nailed down how to get this shit right um with every book <laughs> it's true um john you first and bob what would you not necessarily tell a newer writer but any really any level of writer what what, what have you found to be the most helpful in going in every new story because i don't know about you guys but uh sometimes i'm like not sure I can do this shit again until I'm deep in it, but w- what do you guys feel about that? Um, Just be truthful to yourself. I mean, you'll, you'll know if you're trying to phone it in. Hmm. I mean, I just, I don't ever really have a clear idea of where I'm going with anything that I write. I just start with a character and then I just kind of build the vehicle as I'm going along. Or once in a while, I'll have the end first. Like with Snarl, I had the I had the ending first, and then I had to figure out how to get to it. There's no yeah. wrong way. That's probably the best advice. Whatever works for you is 100 percent not wrong. Yeah, that ending. Not spoiling it, but uh, it was man, it was both beautiful and uh, after you mentioned your mom. A few minutes ago i'm wondering what her thoughts were on that but it was also incredibly sad it was this might sound hyper uh, hyperbolic i can't say that word uh but it had a shakespeare like ending i don't think i've used that comparison before but it really it really really did um i'm just reading brendan candace's text because we're figuring out who's next and she made me laugh again so uh <laughs> john what um as far as that ending goes your mom did she have any any uh, comments that kind of stuck with you on that end and specifically? She just usually tells me that I make her cry. <laughs> Is that a good thing in this? <laughs> I case? mean, yeah, 
because I've put her in so many of like things I write, so many characters that are like clearly her. So she's used to it. But I warned her, I was like, you know, something bad might happen to you in this one, so don't take it personal. Now, Bob, same question for you. Uh, going back to what I first asked, John, what would you say has worked for you? Um, because I know that you're a fucking machine with writing. It is, it, 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 it's on par with Lansdale and Stephen King the last year, year and a half for you. It, it's no stretch of the imagination if you know what you've been working on. So, what have you learned during that time? And I know I'm being vague. It's probably annoying to most people. I can't really say what you've been working on unless you want. That's to all right. I, yeah, I can. I can talk about. I can talk about it to a point. Okay. Um. You know, it. I never used to write very quickly. Uh, not not at all. Um, I think over time. Over time, you know, because because as a writer, you get ideas every day. You know, you hear something that somebody mispronounces or you see a news article or anything like that. You get ideas all day long. Some of those, as you as you gain experience, some of the ideas you realize these are trash. These should be thrown away. Others you realize that's probably a, a solid short story, you know, or this might be a novella. Or this, this has really got some legs to it. This has got a novel size, you know, concept and idea. So I think over time you start, you know, siphoning through those things and sorting them out. Um, but I, I never used to write quickly at all. About a year in, uh, this, this is what, uh, you know, Pat, you were being vague about. Um, about a year in, about a year and a half ago, I got approached to ghostwrite some westerns and um i was forced into a high intensity schedule um they are all seventy-one thousand words minimum and i am on a five-week turnaround uh start to finish so i am currently on number 13 since uh not not august of 2022 so yeah, it's insane. It's insane. I know it's insane. Um, but through the school of hard knocks, I definitely learned some things that work for me. And I, it's a mental game, really. You know, my my mantra, and this is no joke. I say this four or five times a day. I look at the word count. If it's a brand new one, I go, okay, I got seventy one thousand words to go. That ain't shit. That is the mantra I repeat to myself over and over and over again uh, as just a mental encouragement. You know, when I I have an outline, you know, that I that I created and follow. So, you know, at the beginning of, of the outline, as I start rushing through it, I need to know what I refer to as the bitch of the bunch. The bitch of the bunch is the very first sentence of the chapter that I'm working on. If I got that. Well, then I just keep on writing until it feels right, you know, and I've hit my word count. So there's dumb little, you know, mental gymnastic tricks that I've learned to force productivity and get it going. But, you know, some days are better than others, but it's still like you like any job, you know, on the days that are good. The world disappears and suddenly I've, you know, ripped through six or seven thousand words without even thinking about it. Um I just think, you know, John's right, though. You know, th those are the tips that work for me. But John's right. There's no wrong way or right way to do it. You know, it's just whatever feels right and whatever you find works for you. You know, follow follow that. You know, John, John, you know, flies by the seat of his pants on, on you know, things that he writes for the for sometimes he says he has the ending on some. I have the ending on a lot of mine, but not everything. When John and I write, we definitely fly by the seat of our pants. We're working on a project together. Yes, um, we do. But, you know, it's, it's, yeah, whatever feels right, whatever works goes for, you know, for you. How do you, I probably asked this before when we've talked, but how 13 novels, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know how many more you got, but like, how do you come up with newer concepts? Cause I imagine they're all in the same universe. Um, I don't think we've ever actually broken it yeah. down, but for that many words per novel, Mm -hmm. I I can't even pretend to know how that that would be possible. Um, it's it's well put it this way. Stop thinking about it that it's 
you know, how do you come up with that many stories in that world or that universe? Think of it as just modern day. How many story ideas can you come up with if you just sit down for a week, walk around town, go visit a graveyard, go sit in the hospital, go sit in the cemetery, look around, you know, you're going to come up with enough ideas, you know, and again, as I said earlier, some of those are just going to be short stories. Some of those are going to be novels. If you sit down and just think about things for a week, you'll come up with at least three ideas that are novel length. Hmm. And I just keep doing that. You know, there are certain things, you know, that fit into that Western sort of, you know, trope, however, because at the end of the day, all I'm writing is pulp Western novels, you know, but it, it um, you know, there's a hero, there's an outlaw, it's, you know, a, a revenge tale, or it's, hmm. you know, it's, it's, there's certain tropes that, that kind of fall in line. But the stories, yeah, I'm still, I've already got the next four already kind of setting aside, waiting to be outlined. I just haven't done them yet. But yeah, no, it's, you just get into a rhythm and the more you write in that universe or whatever, the more starts hitting you and coming to you on that end. One more, I promise, and Brennan, jump in. Um, okay, so I know, Bob, your your kids are growing up too. Do you just just play a hypothetical game with me? If your kids were younger, like the age where they're very dependent on you. Do you think it would be possible to do that? Cause I, 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 I want to talk about this quite often with writers, but I honestly forget about bringing it up yeah. usually. Yeah. So with, with you, I know a lot of your work is based on fatherhood and family. So I'm wondering if, if you had to have little ones, would you be able to really push through? I'm not even saying 13 novels, but cut it in sure, half sure. even. Is that possible? Or even one. Is it, is it possible um, to stick to that? Yeah, I think it's possible. And I think, I think you know, a lot of a lot of writers, they look at the full length word count of a novel and that kind of panics them. You know, um, the thing is, you're not in a race with anyone on Earth but yourself. Just keep that in mind. It's like mm. you can get it done when you're getting it done. That's the goal. So, but if you start looking at, okay, how many words can I write in an hour? Okay, can I write a thousand words in an hour? You know, or does it need to be shifted back to 500? Okay, well, if it's 500, you can squeeze in. If you really want to finish a novel, even with young children, in the early morning hours before the, you know, the household turns into chaos, you can carve out an hour. You can carve out an hour to do 500 to 1,000 words. At the end of the day, after, you know, the kids are asleep and put in bed, you can squeeze in somehow an hour there. If it doesn't happen to be in one chunk, well, then do two 30 minutes, do two half hours. You know, you can break through that somehow, some way. You know, another writer, you look at John Grisham. He wrote his novels on legal pads when he was in court. You know, it was, it was like, a, you know, if you want to do it, you'll find a way. Mm. Is it more difficult with young kids? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I used to run an ad agency with my kids were very little and uh, I didn't get to write until, you know, midnight till two in the morning. And then I would get up at 730 and start the day all over again, you know, and yeah, it wears you down. Something is going to sacrifice. It's going to be a relationship, you know, with your spouse or it's, it's going to, you know, something's going to suffer. Let's not say sacrifice, but something's going to suffer a little bit. Um, and in the moments that you're not writing, you just make up for it the best you can. You know. God damn, that hits our <laughs> Brennan, jump in, buddy. Yeah, and no, I'm I, I think that's great. I'm I'm a big believer in the idea that if you if it's something you really want to do, that you'll find the time, you know. Um you think of the the, the people that say, well, I don't have time to write. And you wonder, you know, how much time are you spending on Netflix? You know, uh, are you getting eight hours of sleep a night? That's ridiculous. Who's doing that? But if you, if, if it's something you want to get done, you'll get it done. Yeah. Uh, John, I want to go back to something that you said, uh, talking about how the kind of the final scene in Snarl and anybody who's read it knows exactly what scene, you know, you mean, um, how that was the first thing that came to you now is uh, I want, I want to ask this in a way where you can talk about it without giving specifics, but when you start with just the final scene of a book, mm -hmm. what kind of trip do you take 
to go back and, you know, kind of explore different paths and figure out how the story is going to end up at that point? Like, how does your, how does your mind work to craft a story in that way? Not in a very linear way. Um, so I like I said, I, I got that, that final, uh, the image, I got the image of the, the, of the, of the end. So I, and I already knew I wanted to try and do, um, I had actually hoped that that was going to be just like a straight noir, rural kind of crimey Lansdale sort of book. It was going to just be like straight, but because I can't do that, it had to get weird. <laughs> so then like, you know, Marlon's brother ended up going, you know, making an appearance and then it just, well, there went the straight for it. But, uh, so I had the, I had the end and I had some of the characters and I had kind of like the crimey idea, but I had to just kind of figure out how I was going to get from the beginning to that end. And I didn't really, it just kind of happened. I didn't really think it out. I very rarely do. I kind of, it's almost, I don't know. It's almost like I kind of channel something when I, when I do that sort of thing. Like I did it with Spun Gunyan as well. I kind of had touch points that I had to stitch together and I wasn't quite sure how or what I was going to do until I did it. That sounds so lame out loud. <laughs> no, man. Um, it's it, the, the thing is that when you, when you do write by the seat of your pants, sometimes it, it is a process that you just, it works in your head, even if you can't explain how it works. And frankly, if you could explain how it worked, it almost feels like it would take some of the magic away. Yeah. Like, I will say that Snarl and the, the processes between Snarl and Spun Gunyan were very similar because I wrote that one came. I had the ending first. Yeah. And I love that one. That's in fact, I would say, you know, it's, it's hard to pick a favorite Bowden book, but Spun Gunyan and Snarl are up there. And I almost want to kind of do a three-way tie with, with walk the darkness down. Uh, you know, I love that one. Um, I want to ask and, you you've said it before on here that you are not a fast writer, not in comparison to Mr. Ford over there. So I'm kind of curious, is it, is it due to, you know, kind of giving yourself breaks to allow the story to kind of formulate in your mind a little bit? Is it to going back and editing? Is it to some, something else? Um, what kind of, it's uh, mainly, it's mainly because I have a, uh, I have a pretty demanding day job. Um, I'm I'm management. I'm bakery manager for a grocery chain. So I work like from two in the morning until noon, five days a week minimum. So I come home and I nap for a couple hours. And then some days, if my brain's not overtired, I can write a little bit. If my brain's really like tired or too buzzy, I can't concentrate. So then I don't. I'm not one of those people that's going to like sit here and go, I have to write every day because it it's not worth what what comes out it's not going to be worth it if i'm not able to concentrate mm. so i might have like one or two good writing days a week or i might go two weeks where i don't write anything like i'm in the middle of the holiday rush which is like super busy at the grocery store so i haven't written anything in like th almost three weeks now but then once things ease up then i'll probably get some writing done no Part of the reason I ask that is because I, I am curious about your editing process, because when I read your writing, there's word choice is, is something that comes to mind. There's, there's verbs and there's, you know, choices for metaphors and sometimes just, you know, random words that no other writer would put in there. And I mean that in the absolute most complimentary way, Bob's nodding because he knows exactly what I mean, but there's oh, just... Yeah. There, there are choices in there that make a Bowden book a Bowden book. And I wonder how much of that flows out on the first try. And I almost want you to say none because it would make me feel bad. But, um, um <laughs> well, I'm going to hurt your feelings. Hurt him, I man. don't, I don't edit. Um, it, I, it just, it comes out the, any, the editing, the editing that happens is usually after Bob reads it because he'll, he, he points out and corrects things for me. And then that's what I'll like. I'll fix like that kind of editing. But as far as like word choices and what, where does balloons come from? 
Yeah, that happens. <laughs> um, God damn it, Brennan, you're not supposed to acknowledge them. <laughs> as far as like the word choices and stuff, a lot of that's just how my brain works. A lot of the time, it's 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 voice, man. It's it's absolutely voice, and it's one of the thing that make it, that, that just makes your work special. I really ta- thought I turned off the fucking balloons. I thought I figured that out. <laughs> It was right the magic word. That's all. <laughs> I don't even know what what triggers the balloons. I can't think of something. They just go off every once in a while. Last and this, I'm going to throw it to you. It started. Yeah, I've been quiet long enough. First of all, wow. Um, <laughs> I have so many words for both of you that I kind of don't even know where to start. <laughs> Tomorrow. Let's start with Snarl because <laughs> holy shit. Accurate. <laughs> um, that's all I have to say about that. Um <laughs> if anyone hasn't read it, please fix that. Um for as I can't even say what I'm what I want to say now. Um your writing process how you were saying you don't edit and it just tends to come out that way. That's a lot of how I write as well. It just, whatever comes out, comes out. Um, I don't really go and edit anything. I don't change anything. I will fix, you know, um, punctuation and things like that. But typically whatever comes out on the page is how it stays. So, I understand that a lot. I probably write a whole lot like you do when it comes to sort of winging things and you get the ending in mind and you sort of like connect the dots to get back there as you're building the story. So all of that actually made a whole hell of a lot of sense to me because that's pretty much how I write everything. Um, What I want to ask, though, when you were going through the process of connecting all of those touch points, I guess is the word that you had used. What Was there a point where you kind of felt a little bit lost as to where do I go now? Like, did you reach a point to where it just wasn't coming as far as what to do next? And if so, what do you normally do to sort of work that out? Do you have like a mental process? Do you take a break? Do you just push through until it works? Hmm. There were, I think the only thing I really struggled with, I, I don't really know how to address this. I don't want to sp- put, I don't want to spoil stuff. Um, When Marlon was planning his confrontation, Okay. I wasn't quite sure how I wanted to handle that because if if you've read my most of my stuff, you guys know, I don't go the familiar narrative linear path. Like I I jump. There's time jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's just you just assume from chapter one to chapter three, we figure out what's going on. Some things have happened between there that you didn't get to see. That's mm-hmm. just because that's how life is. Right. Um. So I had to try and figure out how far I wanted to go with that. And I just went with, you know, I could have gone like the super action-y, you know, Hollywood way, but I decided to go with the more realistic. This is just how quickly things escalate in real life with no warning kind of way. Mm. And that's just kind of how I reconciled that. But I don't, I don't really labor on it too much like that. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I have a few techniques that I use normally I'll switch hats and I'll work on another story while that one kind of processes so I yeah, just I've, done, kinda, I've like, done that too yeah I just change hats and I let it sit for a little bit and then I come back to it um let's go over to Bob for a minute because <laughs> your story sir sir <laughs> oh my god I want some milk. um Sir, I've read thousands, thousands of books in my lifetime, 
we're not even going to get into what I've read in the last five years and what I have accumulated behind me. All that being said, um, I'm a horror fan, major, since childhood. <laughs> I'm one of those people that you can't scare easily. There are times, but I'm so used to horror and every trick in the book and the disturbing and the unsettling and the jump scares and all the tropes that I'm like, okay, yeah, it was good. You, sir. <laughs> yeah. I was looking over my shoulder the other night like, what the hell was that? While I'm rereading your book to get ready for this show. And I was so legitimately creeped out by the descriptions and what was happening in this book, not to mention the utter heartbreak that is like wrapped all the way into the story, but the creepiness of it and just the unsettling. Well done, because I've not had that feeling in a long time, long time. I've enjoyed a lot of what I've read. I've greatly enjoyed many, many of the books that I've read and they've all been well-written and they all have met the mark, but unsettling me? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's some kind words to hear. Because I was... I was I thoroughly impressed. Cynicism. I understand the that you know the pushback because you are you're a writer. You know what's behind the curtain. Mm. You you know what's there. You know so yeah. It takes a lot. I I don't remember the last time that I got the last time I got scared from a horror novel. I have mm -hmm. no idea. The last one yeah. that unsettled me was um, the Troop by Nick Cutter. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that's, 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 that's a good one. Oh, I'm gonna read that, that book. God damn, so good. Sold me on it. Yeah. How have you not read the truth, man? There's yeah, so many true. fucking books straight. <laughs> <laughs> but now the the there were some scenes in the Dead Pennies I wrote that that I creeped myself out on, and I yeah. was like, "All right, this is a good sign," you know, because <laughs> I had the overall concepts, you know, kind of nailed down, but the individual certain individual scenes. Those, yeah, those were ones that just flowed out in the moment. I knew, yeah. like, I think the outliner notes were something really scary happens in this one, or mm. you know, something mildly scary happens. So that was that was the extent. And um, yeah, the scenes, some of the scenes that come out in there, yeah, they 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 creeped me out. So yeah, yeah, that. well done. That was actually going to be that was where I was headed with that. Like, did you creep yourself out at all? But since you answer that, so my next thought is the title alone. Where did that come from? Because when I saw the title originally, I immediately knew what you meant. And I liked the way that it was described in the story when you explained sort of where the term came from. But how did you come up with that? Was it something you heard? Was there like, is there a backstory to this? Because yeah. when you see it and you understand what you're talking about, it's so sad and heartbreaking. Like immediately when you apply that other meaning to it, and we're not talking about the coin. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So how did that come about? Uh, I I, uh, I used to work with a guy uh, named Josh, and he, he knew that I wrote horror, and he was mm -hmm. talking about, he's like, you need a website, man. He's like, you can't just use your name, because I was talking about getting anything with the name Robert Ford, is almost impossible because he's the guy who shot Jesse James. So trying to do something and find that is almost, you know, impossible. So he was trying to come up with titles or, you know, web addresses for me. And he said, just call it the dead pennies, man. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He's like, I don't know. And then he just walked away, you know, and that was the end of that conversation. So the dead penny stuck in my mind and it rattled around for a few years. And, um, my subconscious was working on it and yeah. if it first attached to the coin aspect because i i mentally was trying to fictionalize a definition of what the dead pennies meant mm. so i arrived at um at pennies that were too damaged 
they were, you know, they were unfit for circulation. And uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain. And, you know, in, in the novel, The Dead Pennies, that same nickname is applied to children in a state school. Yeah. Um, they were they were they were deemed unfit for circulation and hidden. Yeah. Away. Yeah. That struck me that that line that like just pain because I have kids and I know many kids nowadays who years ago would have been put in those types of homes and that that line it it it's it it hit deep like unfit for circulation that was just like that that haunted me through the whole story <laughs> because I just kept hearing that line and then I'm visualizing these ch children as we're going through it and yeah yeah well done that just, Thanks, just well you. done I I want to switch back and um, ask John one more question, and I'm going to come back, and then we'll let Patrick talk again, because he had a good 20 minutes to begin with. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, John, back to Snarl, which I love. Did I say that, by the way? You did. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Incredible. And I know, Patrick, I think he applied that purple word to it. We're not going to talk about that, because I wouldn't claim purple. Um... I don't know. I don't like that phrase. I don't know. But You're smarter. What? What's a better word? Beautifully written. <laughs> okay. Poetic, lyrical, um, descriptive without being overly so, but descriptive enough that you kind of want to jump inside the story and rub it on your face and just let the ink <laughs> like tattoo you forever. Because John, those you words the review right there <laughs> that entire chunk. That whole th those words. Or like tattooed stamp. on my flesh because it's not a line, it's not, it's not a quote. It it's I want it, I want it made into a flesh blanket and I want to roll myself inside <laughs> it and be stitched into it whole because that was just so poetically written. It's immersive to where you kind of want to crawl inside of it and stay there. It's I don't know where that came from, but that was my thought for your <laughs> book. So there you go. Um, I want a flesh suit made of your book. Thank you. Um, let's talk to tattoo artists. I have no idea. Anyway. I'm I'm not really <laughs> sure what to say. <laughs> I don't know either. Except you are. made me cool. feel like I want to see these words visually tangible things and I want to wear them on my body. Does that work? I'm sure. Did you okay. read Misery, John? I have. Don't piss her off, buddy. <laughs> hey, now. Anyway, sir, sorry. back sorry, to, sorry, sorry. to this, sidetracking me from wanting me to wear your entire novel like a suit. Um, favorite character to write other than the mother, because that's well established. And I love the fact that you write her into so many of your books. I started doing that with my mom, too, but I haven't told her yet. <laughs> My mom figured it out without behind the barn. Uh, <laughs> she figured it out right away. <laughs> so aside from your mom for this one, was there a favorite that you enjoyed writing over the others? Maybe one you put a little bit more heart into or maybe just one you had a lot more like fun with? I really liked uh, Sorrow and Wade. Yeah, they were they were a lot of fun. Yeah. Because there were probably at least a dozen guys like that in my town growing up. I had visuals of them. Yeah. <laughs> I had visuals. So nice. Were they based off of a certain one or just no, kind of a not really combination um, kind, of just kind of guys? Compo like that. Kind of composites, yeah. Um Sora was kind of a composite of the the three uh bosses I had when I when I was uh fifteen. I worked for the township during the summer. Mm. And so we would meet at the township building in the morning and we would go and do like maintenance around town, you know, like uh, patching potholes and cutting weeds and like the vacant lots and whatnot. Yeah. And the three bosses I had, they were all good guys, <laughs> but they were a little bit coarse, I guess, for lack of a better word. So I decided to composite them together, give them an unwieldy prosthetic leg 
there there we go loved it i i um i i liked their relationship a lot like i actually know some people like them and i could hear their whole back forth in my head quite clear clearly so yeah i um i, I think the fun. whole book was just phenomenal as we've clearly established but um the dialogue in it was so relatable and so raw especially your main character um his i i think i think that's what floored me more than anything was his emotions you don't typically see that with a male lead character with the outpouring of emotions, the way that he was being expressed in this. And I love that so much because he's a writer and you established that from the jump, but the way that he, the way he speaks and the way that he writes and the emotions that just carry him through this whole thing. I love that so much because it's rare to see something like that in a horror novel, not in any novel. Most men are not written to be emotional like that. And I, I just thought that was just excellent. So I mean, I don't know. I cry at commercials. So I mean <laughs> say I didn't say all. <laughs> most. You don't really see the depiction so, of that. So I, I just, really I try to write what I know. That. So if that's if that's what I do. Hey, I, I like the fact that you cry at commercials. I, I do. cry at Disney movies. <laughs> well, what kind of commercials? Like Budweiser commercials? Or... Wow, Pat. Really? No, just joking, <laughs> man. I'm being an asshole. <laughs> Anywho, we'll go back to Bob for my question, and then we'll throw it back to one of my two co-hosts here. Brennan. And I really have the same question with you, Bob. Um, the favorite character within the story itself that you either most enjoyed writing or had the most fun with? Um, I'm, I, I have to select three because okay. the, uh, the children of the ward, milk, flour, and sugar, uh, their, their personalities, so to speak, sort of developed on the fly. Hmm. And, um, and working my way into some of the more disgusting scenes, uh, but as well as some of the creepy scenes where their behavior started kind of showing the character Cora Jean at the time, started showing her who they really were. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I enjoyed that because the children didn't really have a lot of dialogue. Right. So I had to set them apart with their personalities alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, no, I had a blast doing that. That was some of the scenes that I creeped myself out on. I was like, okay, well, that works. <laughs> I'll set this down for the night. But uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Okay. I suppose I'll throw it over to Brennan for now. Actually, kind of following up on that, I was wondering if there was there were any schools or institutions that inspired. Uh, the story, any real life stories? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I came across, I, I, sometimes I have, if I'm writing notes or outline, you know, type of part of the development, I'll throw a documentary, a weird whatever documentary on the background, just listen to it. And it came across a documentary about a state school in New York called Willowbrook. And, uh, and it was absolutely horrendous. The conditions were terrible. Uh, Geraldo Rivera was a reporter that did a, a, a um, sort of an expose on it and revealed how awful it was. It was a it was a state school that was built for about 4000 residents and it jumped to 6000 residents very rapidly. So there was a nurse, one nurse assigned to basically 60 or 70 patients. <laughs> and these uh, children were all in varying states of, you know, dealing with physical mental challenges or both and the conditions just struck a nerve with me and i went man that is absolutely horrendous you know and that that same writer situation what if you know and it went from there um 
but yeah, it, it was based on Willowbrook. It was, a, it was a terrible, terrible situation. It was, you know, a lot of people cheered when that place was shut down. I bet. Yeah. And it reminded me, um, we had talked to Tanana Do recently, who her, her book, the reformatory, um, was based on uh, real life school in, um, or I don't know if school is the right word, but an institution in Florida. And it, it is absolutely wild. Um, those places that exist in the world and how terrible, how terribly run they are and the amount of backs that get turned on it. And, and even how into modern times they run, you know, you, you, you hear a story about this and you're like, well, that must've happened in the thirties in the sixties, whatever. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Um, They were were so open to corruption, you know, because, (laughs) a lot of them were getting funded uh, by the government or the, at least partially. So yeah, when there were government funds at stake that were flowing in the amount of corruption, the possibilities were terrible. You know, when you put these, the staff at some of these places in a position of power, but they're also in an extremely stressful situation where they're supposed to be caring, you know, for, for these people yeah, something. Yeah, what what could go wrong? What could go wrong with that? You know, no, it's it's an awful, awful situation. But yeah, like you said, you know, I expected to hear some of those things that took place years and years ago. And I'm like, this wasn't really that long ago. Is this still, you know, is this kind of thing still going on today? Sadly, I'm sure it is. But no, it's, it's an awful situation. Yeah, when you read about places like that that got shut down in like 2013 or something, you have to. Almost automatically jump to the conclusion that that there are places that didn't get shut down in 2013, and we just don't know about them yet because you know, like the, that the places that lasted up until that point in time only lasted that long because of the amount of people who were willing to turn a blind eye to it, which means that we're still turning a blind eye to others. And it's you know, like you said, there's a stress to it, but there's a responsibility and a special place in hell for. You know, oh, yeah. people who uh, don't meet that responsibility, my opinion. Let's let's lighten it a little bit. So <laughs> you you guys mentioned, um, you know, kind of in passing that you have collaborated on a few books. Um, and I love talking about collaboration process. So I'd love to hear you both talk a little bit about uh, writing the Knuckle Bucket Thang series. Um, Bob, you want to start out? Uh, sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I've known John for, for years. He's just, you know, he's, he's become a brother. He's, you know, easily one of my best friends and we had, you know, kind of read each other for a while. And then, you know, one day John said, you know, I think it was after one of my readings, John came up and said, it sounds like your family and my family might've hung out together when they were younger at cookouts or something. And we got to talking a little bit more because John speaks like I speak. We we understand some of the vernacular that each other uses right away. And we kept talking about the possibility of writing together. And uh, I said, yeah, I, I'd love to. You know, it sounds like a blast. I'd love to. And I, I, I had a scrapbook that I started cutting out these weird newspaper clippings of things that caught my attention. And I was flipping through one day and I came across this article about, and I think there's been a documentary that's been made about it now, but it was about a pastor who tried to kill his wife with rattlesnakes. And I took a photograph of it and I sent it to John. And I said, what do you think about doing something like this? (laughs) And, uh, And of course, you know, John was into it, but the idea completely changed and evolved. John wrote, you know, some initial pages and sent it, and that was it. When I read those initial pages, I was like, we are out of here. We are off and running, and that was that. And um, it, it, we just ran with it. No outline, no, no, maybe a, maybe a light discussion on what was going to take place, but not much. And uh, And every time I got an email from John with a new chapter in it, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, you know, it still is We're working together now on the third knuckle bucket series, but uh, it's every time I get an email, it's like a Christmas present. It's like, okay, what do I got now? And I can't wait to get back into it and, and you know, and, and work with them. So 
Yeah, no, it's awesome. Love working with John. John, well, you want to put we, in? Um, I think it's funny because our work together is nothing like our singular work. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, there are little bits of it. Like, I mean, you can if th there are bits where you can tell who wrote what. Like, if you read Rattlesnake Kisses, the mm. opening chapter. I wrote that and you can kind of tell because it's reminiscent of the other stuff. Then once we get the groove gone and yeah. the banter starts and like all the, the craziness happens, it's just, it's not anything like what I do or we a lot. Been, like what We've both been about. blamed for something the, the other wrote. Yes. Well. <laughs> that was Caddy Wampus that did that. Yes. Um, And it's just, it's fun. It's just really fun. And we just, we just go for it there's no there's nothing that's off limits my goodness when we finish black salve i that thing is like a doorstop compared to what we've normally done where what are we at we're like close to sixty thousand words aren't we i think we're creeping up on 60 on this one yeah and I think, it's just rattlesnake i think was around 40 or 45 i think and it's uh if you thought caddy wampus was raunchy and rough you you don't even know but but the thing is i forget i forget candace i think it might have been you talking discussing dialogue that john's dialogue felt natural and real and just pure and truthful um i think that's something john you know you and i both have always been focused on if if that dialogue feels real to the character and it fits then we roll with it mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I think you and I have always studied how other people talk in real life around us, you know, I've and spent my life listening. It. Yeah. 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 So no, that is one thing that I just love is the dialogue that we share back and forth. I want to deep more into dive deep more into that, where you as a writer or maybe another type of artist, when you, stop and think of the world around you narration it, it really makes things different in the sense where you can start to work on your focal points and stories you know because like you might not think about you just say like the person walked across the street but like there can be a lot added to that and all you got to do is is look around so i'll first i'll start with you bob is there anything else you want to kind of throw there because I, I wrote a few years before i I actually heard that advice where mm -hmm. if you think of the world as a narrator or writer, then you're going to start to pick up on a whole lot more. So I'd love to hear what you got to say about that. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And it, you know, it's when, when one thing that I've learned over time is it does pay to be specific on certain things, you know, uh, did your character drink a beer? No, no, they didn't drink a beer. They drank a Pabst Blue Ribbon or they drank a Heineken. And I'm using those two things as examples because they're at different ends of the range. If they're mm -hmm. drinking a Pabst Blue Ribbon, that kind of paints immediately just with that sentence, it paints a certain picture. As opposed to he cracked open a Heineken. Okay, that paints a different picture. You know, um, did he drive, a, a, you know, a, a uh, two door sedan? No, he didn't do that. You know, he drove a rusted out Honda. Or he drove, you know, all those details help paint that picture of that personality of who that person is. And I think paying attention to those kind of details, you know, really does pay off. Because a lot of times as you're laying those details slowly, like seasoning, it does start to build that picture of the character. So that, you know, when you decide for them to do certain things and act a certain way, it's all backed up. Yes, of course, that rings true, you know, um, because of all the details that you laid before. And I know John, you know, John, with with the details that he paints. Is very, very much the same way. It's, you know, all of those attention, all of those those points of detail, they do build up and they make sense. You yeah. know, of course, John just makes his sound an awful lot prettier than mine, but they all still are important, you know. What do you think, John? Um, it, there's nothing as important as people watching. Yeah. So I've worked in retail for 27 years. So I, I watch people all day long. 
And the fun thing about working in like a, in the environment I work in, I'm, I'm in the store, but I'm back behind the counter. And people tend to think that that counter is like a, a solid brick wall. Like they don't seem to realize that we back there can watch what's going on out there. So you get to watch people almost unaware. And there's nothing more educational than that. <laughs> people not knowing that you're watching that. So you get to see people that like look like, you know, they've just lost their best friend because maybe they have. Or you don't have any idea what they're going through. And they're just, you know, that little bit of shopping, it might be the only respite they have for the day. And just just all kinds of little 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 points and things that you know you just consider, and if you're me, you just save them in the back of your head for later mm-hmm. and use them. Makes me wonder how many other writers are walking by on a daily basis. Like, there's all the people we've talked to. There's all sorts of walks of life. Everybody does every type of job. I'm sure there's more than people listening to this. I'm sure they're gonna start thinking about it now. And I mean, just. If I see someone kind of doing what you're doing, John, because I, I used to work at a grocery store for uh-huh. a few years. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting things there because people are, for the most part, they got focus on like when I go shopping, I'm like, well, what do I what do I got to get? And then I, I'm focused on the kid and I'm not paying attention to who's paying attention to me. I just I don't know. I just I watch people and I listen. Hmm. I listen to people talk all the time. Not like listen, like eavesdrop and really try to get into their shit. But I just, I listen to certain, like just little snippets and things that people have said. And, and it just, that's how you can write true dialogue. Like you write, just write like people talk. Don't, I, nothing puts me off worse than when I'm reading something is like somebody like just expounds this great big long rambling prose. And you're just like, dude, nobody, nobody does that. That's not that's not true. Tarantino writes that shit all the time. Man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you put the, put enough f words in there, it's <laughs> it's real. I guess. Ha, have you heard someone in in a real life scenario? Have you heard someone say something where maybe you don't say it out loud, but you go, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Is that all the real? time. <laughs> I used to actually have a notebook where I kept little snippets of shit. Like we were walking through a flea market. This was every bit of like thirty years ago. I bet. And I heard some woman in front of us say, he's the man when it comes to eating bananas. He's the banana-eating fool. And I just, it was so <laughs> stupid. And I didn't know what the rest of the context was. It doesn't matter. It was just perfect. <laughs> so, well, I know well, I know that. This is a great time to wrap up, and we'll start with where can people follow you, Bob? Uh, yeah, you can come follow me on robertfordauthor.com. Uh, I have secured a Substack and am ready to launch that in the next couple of weeks, uh, finally. And, uh, you know, all, all the other social media channels, you know, Twitter, Instagram, you know, I don't, I don't play on Twitter as much as I used to, but Instagram, you can always find me on there posting. Not a bad thing, man. Twitter's a hellhole sometimes, you <laughs> yeah. know, always. John, where can people follow you? Uh, I'm on most of the social media stuff. I'm I'm mostly active on Facebook. Um, I'm on the other ones. I don't really do too much on them. I don't Can- know. Candace, where can people follow you? I'm on all the socials. Facebook. I'm most active on Twitter, unfortunately, um, or my website, Uncomfortably Dark. Brennan. BrennanLafaro.com uh, and on most of the social things. Same for me. Uh, PR McDonough or the show uh, Deadhead Space. Whoever social webs, you know, social network can't think or talk. Whatever social network you use, if it's a main one, Twitter, TikTok, we'll probably be there. Um, final thoughts. Start with you, John. Um, Let me think. I don't really know. Um, Snarl's out. People like it. That's great. I'm glad people like it. Um, I do have a new one with Chad coming out in February. Chad Lutsky, for those yep. that don't. It's called uh, The Bedmakers, and, and it's it's actually more of a... It's 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 the uh, small-town noir crime straight story that I attempted with Snarl, but we managed to pull it off and not make it weird. Wondering if it's like Neon Owl because that was that was really by Chad that was a really really good story. Um, 
sort of maybe not really <laughs> um uh, I you, <laughs> you meant it wasn't real okay um we are the children oh i'm not gonna include myself you guys are the children of uh lansdale that's for sure we do like his stuff a lot yeah um so i don't want to cut you off any more final thoughts or shall we pass it to bob? just move it on just thanks for having me it's always a pleasure man <laughs> bob yeah yeah no I'll, I'll start off you know thanks you know for all you guys for having us over and uh and talk about things tonight um right now you know i am i'm still consistently working on the the uh the western project but my next horror novel uh i am i am knee deep working on the final notes for that uh it is uh it is going back to a much harsher tone of voice i guess more like my last novel burner oh shit. so uh, but that is that is that is ramping up pretty pretty well and uh and john and i are closing in on the on the, the you know the first full draft of black salve uh, we are very close. Life has slapped us around a little bit. We've, we've been saying it for done. years, as, as Chad reminds <laughs> yeah, me every time. He's like, dude, you've been saying this is almost done for three years now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. When it's done, then, 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 and he, Chad reads it, then, then we'll see what he's got to say. But and you didn't um, mention I, it, Bob, but people well, really need to check out your novelette, Larva Me Tender. Oh, yeah. Larva Me Tender. That, I'm not yes. familiar with that, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's nuts. Uh, I'm going to be doing a, a video reading post for that. I, yeah. I've been slacking. I need to do a post for that. It's uh, so good. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, now nah, like I say, John and I are always hustling, but we're we're closing in the end of Black Sav, and uh, you know there'll be there'll be plenty for for people to read from us in the near future. Nice, uh, Brennan. Uh, thanks for coming to hang out with us on a Monday night. We are overjoyed to have you guys and you know i both your work is just top notch um i haven't read a thing by either one of you that i didn't absolutely love that i didn't absolutely blast through and just crave more so whatever you put out next i got it thank you thanks brandon candace um just the usual thanks for coming on the show and thanks for your words and john i'm gonna need that skin suit of snarls so i don't know who we're gonna talk to about that i'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) that is my quote of the day (laughs) um yeah so great work on each one of your books just 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 amazing so send me all your arcs just send me everything i just want it I want to wear it on my body. I don't know what else to say to that. Well, we're yeah. just going to keep saying that because it's fun and it gives you a visual that I know you're just, you know, why not? <laughs> but anyway, thanks for your time here tonight. It's always is a good time to talk to amazing gentlemen such as yourselves. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. And hopefully we'll see you again next time. Patrick. Okay. Thank you, Patrick. So my final thoughts are read snarl. It's fucking great. I don't know why I just did that shit, but wow, uh, I have no idea. I don't know. We're both, we're both wild and crazy kids tonight. Um, read the dead pennies, which by the way, going way back to earlier, um, but I think it was Candace saying that, uh, Bob, you, uh, do unconventional stuff with what you think will happen. And then it doesn't. So, I mean, I told you as I read it, well, after I read it, but uh, hmm, Flower, there's one scene <laughs> where she's got a baby, and uh, <laughs> oh my god, I, that's the part where I'm like, you motherfucker, I'm glad I wasn't eating. <laughs> so read those two. It's, it's great. It's going to haunt me for a long time. Read those two books. Uh, Candace just had this uh, new anthology that came out called um, dark disasters it's wonderful uh it's really great uh i would check that out check out brennan's book that's coming out next year called the uh demon of devil's cavern the artwork is fucking cool i'm gonna plug my own shit hot iron cold blood buy it it's good (laughs) it's not because i did but it's good um so i appreciate you guys being here we want you back whatever you guys want anytime sir and uh everyone Next episode is 224. We have Lloyd DeVay Richards and 
Marguerite Richards, uh, Lloyd blew the fuck up on TikTok. We're talking like 50 million plus for his first book, Stone Maidens, which is an excellent thriller. We're going to be talking to them next episode, so stay tuned for that. And as always, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. Bye-bye.